This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, we'll see, we'll see how the Nats, Bucks, and O's fared over the weekend. <laughs> Not great. Give you a little a uh, little teaser into it. Uh, of the three teams combined, uh, one victory. It seemed like 145 people were inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. Not nearly that many, but it sure felt like it. A college football coaching legend uh, passed away yesterday. We will uh, look back and remember uh, one of the greatest coaches ever, uh, Bobby Bowden. And a, a big Major show announcement coming up shortly after the top of the 7 o'clock hour. All that and more coming up in the next two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off uh, a very interesting work week. Hope you had yourself a fantastic weekend, a Hall of Fame uh, weekend, if you will. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Hit me up on Twitter at WCMD Morning Rush, uh, my page at Rush Tony C. On Facebook at uh, WCMD Cumberland Radio. Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo, 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day, minus commercials, so you can go back and listen to any show you would like at your convenience. So if you miss the first hour of the show or the second hour of the show, or you're not up early enough or you're out of listening range, it'll be up on the podcast page. Just get that free Podbean app on your phone or tablet and uh, listen to it whenever you want. So several ways to get involved. It is encouraged that you do so. All right. Uh, a lot of things to get to today, as I mentioned. So let's get things started, as we uh, always get things started here on the show, with the Rock Around the Region. I want to rock! Thank you, uh, D. Snyder. And we start with Major League Baseball, where the Orioles were trying to avoid getting swept by the Rays. Swing and a fly ball to left field. This is deep. Back out of his haze. Still going. And it is a grand slam. Brett Phillips with his second homer of the day. And this is a grand slam. And the Rays have scored nine again and lead it nine to five. The call on WDAE first career two homer game for Brett Phillips as Tampa Bay rallied to beat Baltimore in Baltimore 9-6 and complete the three-game sweep. Uh, Phillips' grand slam was part of a six-run eighth inning 
as the Rays erased a 5-2 deficit. Cedric Mullins and Anthony Santander homeward for the O's, who are 1-11 against the Rays this season. Tampa has outscored Baltimore 94-48 this season. That's a 45. Is that 45? Is that what it is? 46? What is it? It's, it's somewhere. It's run differential is ridiculous. At Camden this season, the Rays are 6-0 with 63 runs scored and 19 home runs. Elsewhere, uh, speaking of sweeps and dominating an opponent, the Pirates were trying to avoid a four-game sweep at the hands of the Reds, and they did not. Line to right center field. Drops in. Reynolds tracks it down. Hits the wall. Runner going to be waved. Overthrowing one cutoff man, and Hoy Park will hold on to it on the infield dirt as Kyle Farmer doubles in Tyler Stevenson from first base and gives the Reds a 3-1 lead. Greg Brown, the call on the Pirates Radio Network. 3-2 the final. Reds win to complete the four-game sweep and move 10 games over 500. Key Brian Hayes hit a solo home run for Pittsburgh, which was outscored in the four-game series 31-9. The, the Reds are 9-1 against the Pirates this season. All you can do is laugh at it at this point, really. These teams are so horribly awful. Reds are 9-1 against the Pirates this season, and dating back to last season, they have won 13-14 of 14 against the Bucks. And in Atlanta, the Nationals were not in danger of getting swept, but they were trying to win a series, and they did not. Hopefully he's starting to relax a little bit. Smoke to deep left. Two-run homer for Duvall into the Hank Aaron Terrace. A line-drive missile. Good call, B.J. And the Braves break it open. The call on Bally Sports Southeast. That home run by Adam Duvall made it 5-1 Braves. And they held on to beat the Nats 5-4 to take two of three in the series. Ryan Zimmerman had three hits and drove in two runs for Washington. Patrick Corbin took the loss. He is 0-4 with a 7.22 ERA in his last five starts. He has allowed 27 homers this season, most in the National League. In the NBA, the Wizards' summer league game against the Pacers yesterday had to be postponed because of health and safety protocols. Here we go again. The Wizards have several players in contact tracing and didn't have enough players available to play last night at Indiana. The Wizards are scheduled to play five games this week in the summer league. Uh, Next game is supposed to be tomorrow against Sacramento. And in college football, in case you missed it over the weekend, West Virginia received its 17th commit for the class of 2022 in linebacker Travius Lathan. Lathan, a 6'2", 205-pounder, is a four-star recruit and is listed in the ESPN Top 300. He holds 22 offers from Power 5 schools, including Florida, Florida State, Georgia, LSU, Michigan, Penn State, and Pitt, but he is, at least for the time being, verbally committed uh, to go to Morgantown. And uh, that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Kappa Rally Group. All right, so there you go. Uh, how terribly awful 
uh, are our baseball teams. Holy smokes. Again, all you can really do is just kind of laugh at it. They played <laughs> they played 10 games over the weekend because the Pirates and Reds, it was a four-game series. Nats, Bucks, and O's played 10 games, and they won a combined one game. And that was the Nats winning the middle game of that Brave series. Pirates got swept in four. O's got swept in three. Nats lost two of three. Not once, but twice. I watched a good bit of the Olympics uh, this weekend. Did a lot of uh, channel, because they were all over the place. Right? They were all, like on four different... At, at one point, you could find them on like the main NBC channel, then like MSNBC and CM, whatever, a bunch of NBCs, and then USA uh, as well, right? So did a lot of channel surfing this weekend, flipping back and forth, depending on what was what was on, right? Not a whole lot of patience for horse riding or whatever. What is it? Equestrian? No thanks. So there was some sports I really couldn't uh, stomach. But still, flipping back and forth between the Olympics, you know, because this was the last the last weekend. Not once but twice did I flip it over to the Pirates series uh, in Cincinnati. I do believe it was Friday and Saturday. I flip it over Friday's game, all right? And it's in the second inning. Maybe it was Thursday. I can't, oh, no, no, I have to, hold on. I got to check. I got to double check here. I don't want to give any false information here. I'm going to tell the story. I got to tell it right. All right, it was Friday. So I turned over on Friday. It was a series on Thursday, series opener on Thursday. Excuse me. It's a second inning, and it's 7 nothing Cincinnati. <laughs> And they, they just scored six runs in the second inning to make it 7 nothing, right? And they went on to win that game 7-4. The very next night, I'm flipping back and forth, and I tune over to the Pirates-Reds game. It's in the first inning, and it's 7 nothing Cincinnati. Two nights in a row. 7 to nothing. Before the second inning was over. And like I said, Pirates were outscored in that series 31 to 9. Yesterday was actually the closest game. It was what, 3 2, Cincy? The other score is 7 4, 10 0, and 11 3. It's hard to be that bad on purpose. I mean, the game's over. The game's over before, I mean, before you even sit down. Like, there's no need to keep on watching. When you flip over to a game and it's 7 0, you just keep on going. Which is, I guess it kind of helps, you know, helps determine what you're going to watch that evening because then you ha- you're not invested in it. It's not a close game. Who cares? It's 7 0. You just move on. You've on. You move on to more equestrian or whatever, water polo. <laughs> the O's, uh, they weren't very competitive against the Rays. Of course, they haven't been all season. What I say? Uh, Rays are 11 and one against Baltimore this season. You look at those three games. What was that series tally? 10 6, 12 3, and 9 6. So in that three game series, let's see here Tampa Bay, quick math, 
You have to excuse me. That's 31 for them and 15. So the Pirates were outscored 31 to 9. The O's were outscored 31 15. The Nationals were at least a little more competitive. They at least won a game this weekend. Three to two. They lost eight to four and they lost five to four and they won three to two. One lousy win between those three lousy baseball teams. Thank goodness football season started last Thursday with the Hall of Fame game. Because it's hard to stomach watching. I talked to a, a friend of mine yesterday. And he asked me, he's like, how, how bad are the Pirates right now? And just, that is unwatchable. Like, what reason do you have if you're a Pirates fan to, to watch a game or, or go buy tickets to see a game? But Brian Reynolds, okay. Reynolds, all-star, having a really good season. Top 10 batting. Who else? Who? Where's the draw for the Pirates? Key Brian Hayes? I'll give you that. I mean, he, he's been slumping at the plate. He did, he did homer yesterday. I'll watch Key Brian Hayes because of his glove. He's a tremendous defensive third baseman. Who else? Who else do the Pirates have? Seriously. Name somebody. Jacob Stallings? They're rolling out guys now. We're at that point in the season, right? We're not quite mid-August yet. Trade deadline is passed. We're at the point now, uh, when your team's out of contention, that you're just going to start seeing a bunch of guys that you've never heard of before. And that's I'm saying every time I turn on a Pirates game, there's somebody usually warming up in the bullpen, and I'm like, who, who is this cat? Where did he come from? Because never heard of him. This is where teams who are out of contention start calling guys up, seeing what they have at the triple-A level. I guess that's a reason to watch. And again, and we've talked about this before, it's not like this is unexpected. It's not like we didn't expect the Pirates and the Orioles to be bad. Nationals, eh. Not so much, but they pretty much punted on the season of the trade deadline when they traded away half the team. So now we know they're going to be bad the rest of the season. So it's not like this is unexpected. Like We know these teams going in, we're going to be last place teams, especially the O's and the Bucks. But what went down this past weekend is absolutely disgraceful. It's, it's, not, it's just not competitive. It's not even competitive. Now, I understand the Orioles have a tough task taking on Tampa Bay, a team that's dominated them this season. Tampa is in first place. They're 24 games over 500. they They're one of the better teams in baseball. So it shouldn't be that surprising that they get dominated. The Reds have been playing decent. I mean, the Reds aren't. Nobody's going to confuse this year's Cincinnati Reds with the Tampa Bay Rays. But for the Pirates to go out, and not just get swept in a four-game series, but get embarrassed, to get dominated. I mean, you got to have a little bit. Like, I don't know how much pride plays into baseball. Because you really can't use momentum in baseball like you can football and, and basketball and other team sports. 
But come on. You got to at least try to be competitive. To be outscored in a four-game series 31-9, to to only play one close game out of the four, And you look, early on in the season, the Pirates were, and I don't want to say they were good, but they were better than we expected. Let's put it that way. The Orioles were what we expected. But now that you look at the standings, the Pirates have fallen all the way back. The Orioles have 38 wins this season. You know what the Pirates have right now? 41. They only have three more. The gap was much bigger uh, back in June, early July. It was much bigger. But now the Pirates have fallen all the way. Remember, remember how terrible the Diamondbacks were? Well, I mean, they still are. But you remember just how absolutely they were by far the worst team in baseball. They lost, what was it, I don't know, 18, 19 straight road games or 20. What, they set the record. It might have been in the 20s, right? It was low 20s. You know how terrible they were? The the most absolute awful worst team in baseball. They have 35 wins. The O's have 38. The Bucks have 41. That's how far those teams have fallen back. The Nationals, they have 50. I mean, they're not nearly that bad. But again, trading away Scherzer and Trey Turner and Schwarber and Whoever else. They're at least a little bit more competitive. They're 50 and 60. They're nine games out of first place. The Pirates, 25 games out of first. 41 and 71. The Orioles, 29 games out of first. At 38 and 72. Worst record in the American League. By two games. The Rangers are 39 and 73. The Orioles run differential is minus 166. That's got to, is that worse than baseball? No. The Pirates are actually worse than that. At minus 175. The Diamondbacks are the worst at minus 178. That's just, that's horrible. How do you even justify? Seriously, how do you even justify going to see these teams or watching them on TV? Being bad is one thing. Rebuilding is one. I mean, we get it. There's one team in the AL East with a negative run differential, and that's the Orioles. This is kind of goofy as I'm looking over the standings here before we go to break. There's only one team in the AL Central with a plus run differential. The first place White Sox are a plus 121. Every other team in that division, Cleveland, Detroit, KC, Minnesota, they all have negative run differentials. Same deal with the AL East. How about that? The Braves are the only team in the East with a plus run differential, plus 65. Every other team, including the first-place Phillies, have a negative. The Phillies are in first place. They're 59 and 53. They've won eight straight games, and they still have a run differential of minus five. 
But they are they are pretty hot though. They just swept the Mets. Oh, the Mets. The Mets were in first place when the weekend started. You talk about a nosedive. They're two and eight in their last ten. They've lost four in a row. Swept by the so the Phils are in first place in the uh, NL East. Braves are two games back. The Mets now two and a half back. And look at the Reds. The Reds making a push. Of course, it helps playing the pathetic Pirates for four games. But I said Reds have won five in a row, eight uh, of their last ten. They're ten games over at 60. They're only five games behind the Brewers in the uh, NL Central. Only five. Making a nice push. So anyway, it's, again, it's laughable. It's, 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 you know what? You know what it is? I'll, I'll tell you what it is. With a full slate of preseason games coming down the pike here, beginning Thursday, it's officially football season in our area. That's what it is. And you know, I, I say that knowing we're a Nationals affiliate and we want you to tune in and listen to the Nationals and our stations across the hall is a Pirates affiliate and we want you to tune in and listen to the Pirates. We do. But it's football season. Steelers and Washington both play this Thursday. Washington's at New England, and the Steelers are at Philadelphia. It's football season. It is, it is upon us. And as I said last week, when we were going over the, uh, the Steelers win in the Hall of Fame game, that kicks off some sort of football each and every week now through February. And when you have baseball teams that Aren't, not only just aren't good, but aren't even competitive. As pathetic as what they showed this weekend, I mean, come on. It's football season. It's, it's high school golf season. It's cross-country season. What other fall sports am I missing? I already said football. What else is Is volleyball in the fall? I think it is. Yeah. It's volleyball season. I'll tell you what it ain't. It ain't baseball season. <laughs> And you can thank your Pirates and your Orioles and your Nationals for that. Anyway. All right. Uh, seriously, give me a reason. 301-759-2628. Give me a call. Give me one good reason why I should tune into any of those teams for the rest of the year. Give me one. So coming up in the show... Uh, we got a break coming up here in just a bit, news and uh, weather. We're going to look back at the uh, life and career of Bobby Bowden, who uh, passed away yesterday at the age of 91. Take a look back at the uh, Hall of Fame weekend in Canton. A ton of people being inducted. Of course, you had two classes going in this weekend because of the postponement in 2020. So you had the class of 2020 on Saturday, and you had the class of uh, 21 yesterday. And it was certainly a black and gold clad weekend in Canton for sure. Olympics wrapped up this weekend. We'll look at that here in just a bit. Uh, The U.S. on the very last day of competition, squeaking by China to take the total medal count and the gold medal count by one. And then, of course, a reminder, coming up uh, past the uh, 7 o'clock hour, a major uh, show announcement. You don't want to miss any of that. And, of course, we want you to get... Involved. Get involved on today's show. As we uh, kick off this work week, hit me up on Twitter at uh, WCMD Morning Rush. 
I gave you the phone number, 301-759-2628. And, of course, on Facebook, at Cumberland Radio. All right, uh, stick around. News and weather coming up. And then back to take a look at the life, the career of the late, great Bobby Bowden. Stay tuned. 102.1 FM, AM 1230. Almost did it again. That's the old name. It's just now WCMD. Stick around. This is the Morning Rush. Uh, all right. So uh, yesterday, uh, news came out, and it it uh, not like it wasn't expected because uh, a family of Bobby Bowden came out a week or so ago, maybe a little longer than that, and they announced that Bobby Bowden had, was terminally ill. They really didn't go into uh, specifics. Uh, Bowden said he was at peace, and yesterday he unfortunately passed away. Of course, Bowden, longtime uh, Florida State, former West Virginia head coach, uh, died at the age of uh, 91 after a battle with uh, pancreatic cancer. Uh, Bowden spent 10 years in Morgantown, four as offensive coordinator. Before he took over as head coach in 1970, he was 42-26 and 26 in six seasons, led the Mountaineers to uh, Peach Bowl appearances, In 1972-1975, he then left for Tallahassee, where he carved out a Hall of Fame career from 1976 to 2009. Had a record of 315 wins, 98 losses, and four ties at Florida State. Led the Seminoles to two national titles in 1993 and 99. 27 straight bowl games, 15 straight New Year's Day bowl games from 1991 to 2005. And there was a stretch where the Seminoles finished in the top five of the AP poll for 14 straight years. Now, between his days at Howard College, which is now a Samford University, West Virginia and Florida State, Bowden had 377 wins, more than any other major college coach not named Joe Paterno. And in a moment that kind of brought everything full circle, Bowden's last game was the 2010 Gator Bowl when Florida State beat West Virginia 33-21. Following that game, Jimbo Fisher, a Clarksburg native, would uh, take over for Bowden at FSU. And look, when Bowden got to Florida State, they were, and a lot of people don't remember this, they were terrible. I mean, they were awful. And he turned the program around and into one of the more dominating programs in the country. Here is a longtime college game day host, uh, Reese Davis. They had a two-year stretch a couple of years before uh, Bobby went there. They were 0-11 and 1-10. They, they weren't an afterthought. They weren't even a thought at all. And he went there and built it into one of the great dynasties in the history of the sport, such a sustaining dynasty that in recent years with the uh, struggles that the Seminoles have had, that there is an entire generation of college football fans and Seminole fans who believe it's their birthright to be not only good but great. That's because of Bobby Bowden, because that didn't exist uh, before he went there. Now, I was, think about that. They had a total of one win in the two seasons prior 
to uh, Bowden's arrival. It's kind of like like Duke basketball fans don't remember. They weren't very good, right, until Krzyzewski showed up. Steelers fans, they don't want to even talk about that team pre-1970 because there was a time when the Steelers were the bottom dweller. They were just a terrible franchise before the 1970s. And people forget about it. We, we tend to forget about that kind of history. Florida State was not very good before Bobby Bowden arrived. And uh, Reese Davis went on yesterday uh, to tell his favorite uh, Bobby Bowden story. I was with Coach Bowden at an event, and I said to him, I said, you know, uh, Coach, I said, you may not remember this. I said, but you coached my father-in-law in baseball at South Georgia College way back in the day. And, and Bobby asked me, well, what was his name? And I told him, and he immediately remembered him and said, we called him Itchy. Now, it's a little too early in the morning for me to share the details of why they called my father-in-law Itchy, but he remembered every little bit of it. And subsequently, whenever he would see me or see my wife, he, he would ask. Now, see, that's the thing about Bowden. Like After the news came out yesterday that he passed away, uh, of course, uh, everybody came out with, with, with stories, and they said he never forgot a name. Like, if you talked to him for just a brief second, he knew, he knew who you were. And that's just the kind of guy he was. And you started hearing all these stories about how, you know, uh, from former players and coaches and people who covered him, uh, you know, they talked about, obviously, how great of a coach he was. But then in the same breath, they would talk about how great of a person he was. You know, how he treated people. And I just think that's the way we want to be remembered, right? I mean, the numbers and the stats and everything, that's great. But the ultimate legacy you want to leave is how people remember you as a person and how he treated people and his players and everybody around him. Here's uh, ESPN analyst uh, Kirk Herbstreit. Well, I've heard a lot of people uh, on your show and and on social media talking about how how big of a a man he was. He wasn't just as a great football coach. I mean, he was a legendary football coach, but... Anybody who can impact so many folks the way he did, um, not just his players, but you talked about it even covering uh, games yourself and, and how welcoming he felt uh, made you feel. I, I felt that myself. I mean, I, when I, I first I had you know the, the view of Bobby Bowden as a fan, and if you were my age and you watched Florida State and Miami in the 80s, I mean, that was must-see TV. And he was right in the middle of it, and the way he carried himself in those teams – it was, it, I don't care who you were and what your favorite team was, you were enamored. And then when I became a broadcaster, think about this, for the first five years that I was on college game day, Florida State played in the national championship. Here I am in my mid-20s, a Big Ten guy, thinking, how is Coach Bobby Bowden going to treat me? He doesn't know me, and, and our show is around him a lot. And man, he, he could not have been any more welcoming and that's when I saw him as a person and not just as a legendary football coach. And to hear all these different stories of all these different folks, not just the players who were lucky enough to play for him, but the people who were around him and just got a, just a, a little taste of what he was like. Uh, that, to me, what an incredible uh, legacy to leave behind and how he impacted people and how he made you feel mm-hmm. individually. That when you left and you went to talk to your friends or whoever you talk to, you weren't talking about, oh, he's such a great coach. You were talking about, man, Bobby Bowden is one of the greatest people that I've ever met. And I think that says, that's a celebration to me 
as he as he passes on at 91 years old, how he made people feel about themselves when he came into contact with them. Yeah, so beautifully said, and that that is the first thing that comes to mind, and then all the accomplishments after. But in that respect, and I thought it was really interesting hearing Reese Davis's uh, comments earlier this morning, and we know Bobby Bowden, we heard Mark Richt talk about his spiritual faith, and then one of the things that Reese Davis referenced also was that he was bold in his decision-making. Uh, we know he about was. the Punt-Ruski game. Uh, he pulled that out at Death Valley uh, in 1988. Unbelievable. And when you look at the coaches, his coaching tree, I mean, from Kirby Smart to Jimbo Fisher to Manny Diaz, what is his imprint on the game today as we know it? Yeah, that, that's, that's so true that all the coaches that uh, the thing that stands out to me, Hannah, not just the coaches who were underneath him, part of his coaching tree, but to hear the coaches that competed against him, the way they talk about him, man, that says a lot, too, because all, you know, think about big time college football. You know, it is a, you know, it is very competitive and not just on the field, but in recruiting. And you talk to a lot of these guys behind closed doors and, you know, they, they've got some strong emotional feelings towards certain guys. You don't get that. I've never met a guy that was like, oh, let me tell you about Bobby Bowden in recruiting this, this and that. You never hear that ever. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so I think, again, the, the fact that he didn't um, do things where he had to cheat to win, the fact that you can't find a person that played for him or a coach that competed against him and can say a bad word about him. And the other thing that stands out to me is, and I love to hear Mark Richt, who, who, who was really around him in his glory years, he's, he talked about how he didn't coach out of make players feel fearful. Mm. You know, when you're competing – and he had 14 straight years of finishing in the top five in the country. When you're competing at that level, you know the amount of stress you have to win games. You know how easy it is to get 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old kids to give them a look with your eyes or to raise your voice or to curse them out because they didn't come through or they made a mental error. You don't really hear those stories about mm. him. Um, they didn't want to disappoint him. Think about that. I mean, I don't care if you're a dad. Think about how powerful that is that when your kids, and he looked at his players like his kids, man, we weren't afraid of coach. We just didn't want to let him down. Whew. Whoa, my gosh. Yeah. That says a lot about who he is, not just for one year, but every year and every player that he coached. They just didn't want to let him down. I, I love hearing that. So there you go, Herbie, uh, putting it all uh, in perspective. Well said. Uh, remembering uh, Bobby Bowden again. That's too loud. Turn that down. It's Monday. Again, not remembering him just as a coach, but as a person and all the people he impacted. Now, going back to the days in West Virginia, Bowden didn't always have the best relationship with the Mountaineer fan base. And we'll talk about that next. Stick around. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Uh, for the remainder of this hour, we are talking about the uh, life and career of Bobby Bowden, who passed away yesterday at the age of 91. Of course, spent 10 years in Morgantown, uh, four as an offensive coordinator, six as a head coach. Uh, Bowden, very up and down relationship with the fans at West Virginia. He went eight and three in his first year in 1970, but... Uh, that year will be remembered most uh, for blowing a 35-8 to halftime lead and losing to Pitt, of all teams, 36-35. Two years later, 
Mountaineers went eight and four, not bad. But they lost to NC State in the Peach Bowl. Then came a couple of lean years in 1973-74, when the Mountaineers went six and five and then four and seven. 74 team was expected to be very good. They had 17 returning starters. But Bowden lost his top two quarterbacks to injury. They lost the opener in 1974 to Richmond, 29-25. That's when things got dicey. That's when uh, Mountaineer fans turned on Bobby Bowden. They hung the man in effigy. Students hung a sheet outside their dorm that read, Bye-bye Bowden. And that was a sign that he had to see every day as he he walked past that dorm every day to his office. And he had to see that sign hanging out, Bye-bye Bowden. Fans also placed a for sale sign in the front yard of Bowden's home. A sign that his wife, Ann, would remove before Bobby got home so he didn't have to see it. Now, despite all that, uh, the Mountaineers rebounded to go 9-3 and in 1975 and then beat NC State this time in the Peach Bowl. But Bowden never really got over it, never really forgot that 1974 season. Now, he told reporters before uh, Florida State played West Virginia in the 2004 Gator Bowl. This is a quote here. Quote, I can't forget that. And he's speaking about the 74 season. I saw how quick people will turn on you. I saw how quickly friends will turn on you. How quickly people used to invite me to parties quit inviting me, end quote. Two years later, of course, uh, Bowden was off to Florida State, and the rest, as they say, is history. Who knows what would have happened if Bowden would have stayed at West Virginia. I would venture to guess that he wouldn't have had nearly the success that he had at Florida State because he, let's just be real, he wouldn't have been able to recruit the players at West Virginia that he did at Florida State. And that's just that's just the way it is. Maybe he goes on to a decent career. Maybe he goes on. He had a winning record at West Virginia, 42-26. and 26. Two bowl games, one one lost one. But that 74 season stuck in his crawl. You know, look, if his quarterbacks don't get hurt, they beat Richmond in that opener, and maybe the entire season's different. But the way it started, and then again, the fan base just simply turned on him. And he still turned it around in 75 and went nine and three, won the Peach Bowl. And then he was gone. And it just goes to show you, and I'm not I'm not picking on Mountaineer fans because every fan base is like that. Every <laughs> every fan base turns on their coaches and players eventually. Eventually. Very rarely does a player or a coach uh, go through a career unscathed. Very rarely do they not feel the wrath, right, of their fan base. So West Virginia fans, they're no different than anybody else. But it was just, you know, again, that was 74. 30 years later at the 2004 Gator Bowl, he never forgot that. That stuck with him. That's, you know, players and coaches like to say that they don't, you know, listen to the outside noise. 
that they don't read headlines and newspaper clippings and stuff like sometimes though, sometimes they do. Again, it's hard to avoid it when Biden had to walk past that sign outside the dorm that said bye bye Biden every day. I can get to you a little bit. Hey, one thing that we forget is that coaches and players, they're they're people too. They're they're human beings too. They have, they have feelings. So just an interesting uh, up and down kind of relationship that Bobby had with the uh, Mountaineer fans. And like I said, uh, a couple years later he was gone and the rest is college football history. He went on to a Hall of Fame career, one of the greatest coaches we will ever see in our lifetime. Bobby Bob again passed away yesterday at the age of 91. All right, stick around. Uh, coming up, we're going to rock around the region. Then a major show announcement coming up. Don't want to miss that. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Uh, Again, major show announcement coming up here in just a bit. But first, uh, let's one final time this morning rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we will start with uh, those terrible baseball teams. In Major League Baseball, the Orioles were trying to avoid getting swept by the Rays. Swing and a fly ball to left field. This is deep. Back at it is Hayes. Still going. And it is a grand slam. Brett Phillips with his second homer of the day. And this is a grand slam. And the Rays have scored nine again and lead it nine to five. The call on WDAE, first career two-homer game for Brett Brett Phillips is his real name, as Tampa rallied to beat Baltimore in Baltimore. 9-6 and complete the three-game sweep. Uh, Phillips' grand slam was part of a six-run eighth inning as the Rays erased a 5-2 deficit. Uh, Cedric Mullins and Anthony Santander homered for the O's, who are 1-11 against the Rays this season, uh, Tampa has outscored Baltimore 94-48 to this year. At Camden Yards, the Rays are 6-0 with a 63 run scored and 19 home runs. Uh, elsewhere, speaking of sweeps and just simply being dominated, the Pirates were trying to avoid a four-game sweep at the hands of the Reds, and they did not. Line to right center field. Drops in. Reynolds... Tracks it down, hits the wall. Runner going to be waved, overthrowing one cutoff man, and Holly Park will hold on to it on the infield dirt as Kyle Farmer doubles in Tyler Stevenson from first base and gives the Reds a 3-1 lead. Greg Brown, the call on the Pirates radio network, 3-2 the final. Reds win to complete the four-game sweep and move a 10 games over 500. Key Brian Hayes. Hit a solo home run for Pittsburgh, which was outscored in the four-game series, 31-9. to Reds are 9-1 against the Pirates this season, and dating back to last season, uh, they have won 13-14 of 14 against the Bucs. Really, all you could do is laugh. And in Atlanta, the Nationals, they weren't in danger of getting swept. They were actually trying to win a series. They did not. Hopefully he's starting to relax a little bit. Smoke to deep left. Two-run homer for Duvall into the Hank Aaron Terrace. A line-drive missile. Good call, B.J. And the Braves break it open. 
The call on Bally Sports Southeast, that home run by Adam Duvall made it 5-1 Braves, and they held on to beat the Nats 5-4 and take two of three. In the series, Ryan Zimmerman had three hits and drove in two runs for Washington. Patrick Corbin took the loss. He is 0-4 with a 7.22 ERA in his last five starts. He has allowed 29 homers this season, most in the National League. In the NBA, the Wizards' summer league game against the Pacers yesterday had to be postponed because of health and safety protocols. Here we go again. The Wizards have several players in contact tracing and didn't have enough players available to play last night at Indiana. Now, the Wizards are scheduled to play five summer league games this week. Uh, Next game is supposed to be tomorrow against Sacramento. And in college football, in case you missed it over the weekend, uh, West Virginia received its 17th commit for the class of 2022 in linebacker Travius Lathan. Uh, Lathan, a 6'2", 205-pounder, is a four-star recruit and is listed in the ESPN uh, Top 300. He holds uh, 22 offers from Power 5 schools, including Florida, Florida State, Georgia, LSU, Michigan, Penn State, and Pitt. And uh, that is your Rock Around the Region, once again, brought to you by the Caporale Group. And we'll just throw that in uh, file 13. Yeah, uh, Pirates, Nats, and O's, what an absolute uh, terrible weekend. And I mentioned this in the first hour. Uh, they won one game combined. <laughs> That's <laughs> They played 10 games this weekend because the Pirates-Reds were a four-game series. One game. One and nine, those three teams combined. Pirates got swept in four. O's got swept in three. Braves, they at least won one game, but they lost two or three. That's just, that's just awful. That's just awful. Anyway, we move on. All right, so I've been talking about it uh, all morning long, this major show announcement. So I guess it's time to get this over with because, to be frank, it's not really a good announcement. But I wanted to let everybody know that, you know, look, all things have a beginning, middle, and an end, right? And, uh, This show here is coming to an end. This is my final week here in the big chair as I am leaving Allegheny Radio at the end of this week. Friday uh, will be my last day. I figure it's best to get it out in the open now so we can just have fun this week instead of just dropping the bomb on Friday. And this was completely my decision just so everybody knows. And I'm not going to get into a whole lot of detail. Maybe I'll talk about it more on Friday. I don't know. But just to put it in a nutshell, it's just time to move on. right? It's just time to get on with my life and do something else. And uh, a friend I was talking to yesterday, he put it uh, quite, uh, I don't want to say, for lack of a better word, nicely. But he said, look, everything has an expiration date. Right? Like if you have something in your refrigerator or you have whatever, something in the kitchen, and if it passes that expiration date, then it's no longer good anymore. And I've reached my expiration date when it comes to being in this business. And that's what really, it's really what it all boils down to. I've been a card carrying member of the media since 1995. 
worked in newspaper a lot, worked in radio a lot, uh, held all kinds of just different jobs, part-time, full-time, good times, bad times, some great jobs, some downright crappy jobs. Met some great people, some downright crappy people. But 90, since 95 is a long time. What is that, 25, 26 years as a member of the media? Most of us was in radio. Had a, had a, had a good little stint in newspaper. Uh, but I just reached my expiration date. You know, I, I just woke up and I just said, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. And a lot of it had to do with, look, if you listen to the show enough, uh, I turned 50 back at the end of uh, this March. And when you reach like a milestone age like that, or it just uh, sometimes it's any, a certain age will trigger something. For me, it was 50. And I just, you, you tend to reevaluate things when you reach a certain point in your life or a certain age. And when I hit 50, I did that. I, I kind of just took inventory of my life and where I was and where I wanted to be and where I wanted to go. And, and I thought to myself, look, Lord willing, because it's it's all in his control anyway, Lord willing, I, I got 10 to 15 good working years left. And I, I didn't want to spend them doing this. And that's what, it, that's what it boiled down to. And I mean that, I don't mean that in a bad way. Because I, I enjoyed doing this. I had fun doing this. It's been, what, August 19th would have been two years doing this show. Had a lot of good times in radio. Met, met a lot of great people. But like the, the fire just went out, man. After doing this for so long, after making sacrifices for so long, the fire just went out. And, and when the fire goes out, it's it's time to move on. The last thing that I wanted to be is just somebody to show up and collect a paycheck. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be someone whose heart is no longer in it. The fire doesn't burn anymore. And just show up and half-ass everything just to get a paycheck. Didn't want to be that guy. It's like, you know what? It's time to go. It's time to go. And that's it, right? That's it. I reached my expiration date when it comes to being in radio or a member of the media in general. So I move on. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen to the show. I know to start next Monday, it'll be back to uh, the national show, uh, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin from 8 to 10. Everything else stays the same. Everything else stays the same, right? Amanda will still have Tri-State today from 8 to 10, then Talk Line 10 to noon, then Bongino noon to 3, and then ESPN programming after that. Still have the Nationals and the Ravens and the Capitals. Everything stays the same, except I won't be here anymore. And to paraphrase Red from Shawshank Redemption, I highly doubt They'll make much of a fuss over an old radio guy like me. Does that make any kind of sense? So that's it. I wanted to get it out there today and just get it over with and let you know that the show, my run, comes to an end Friday. And I'll say all the, you know, the farewells and all that stuff on Friday since it'll be my last show 
and you know, Burke will be in studio a couple days this week, and it'll still we'll still do the show, right? We'll still do the show. We'll still do, still do the best we can. I don't know what the future holds for me. I'm going to try a couple things. <clears throat> I am uh, in the fortunate position that I can walk away from this and take some time to figure out what my next step is, to figure out what I want to do in the next 10, 15 years before I ride off into the sunset into retirement. I am a good I am a good position to do that. But whatever it is, and look, I don't I don't know what the future nobody knows what the future holds. Nobody knows. I, I could be hey, I could be back here next year. <laughs> Who whatever I get into next, it might not work out and I might come crawling back next year. Who knows? But I'd rather crash and burn trying something new than just fade away continuing to do something that I just don't want to do anymore. And again, that has nothing to do with this company working here. I leave here, I hope, on good terms. No bridges burned. It's just time to move on. Yeah, we've had a good run, you know? And, and, and that's, that's the funny thing. And that's the funny thing about all this. The very reason, the very reason... I got into radio in the first place way back in 1994 when I decided to go to broadcasting school was because I wanted to get into sports radio. Like that was like my main goal was to be a sports talk host. That was why I got into it. And I had some little shows here and there, nothing major, nothing big time, nothing, uh, you know, no long runs or anything like that. But the main reason I got into it 25, 26, 27 years ago was to do exactly what I'm doing now. And then the funny thing is, when I finally get the opportunity and the chance, my life has changed so much and my interests have changed so much that I don't want to do it anymore. (laughs) Had this been 15, 20 years ago, probably a totally different story. And for whatever reason, early on in my career, it just didn't work out. Because wherever I was, I constantly pushed to be a sports talk host, right? I always pushed it. I always, uh, I always pitched it. And it just didn't work out. And look, there were some points in my career where I, maybe I didn't work hard enough. Maybe I didn't push hard enough. And that's on me. But there were other parts and points where it, it, the timing just wasn't right. That I just wasn't in the right place at the right time. And when I finally find myself in the right place at the right time, after a couple of years, I just don't want to do it. That, that's, that's the funny thing about all this. You know, things change, right? Back when I was younger, most of my life revolved around sports. Like, that's what I did. I played sports when I was a kid. I watched them. Sports was my life. Talked about sports, right? But things change. Life changes. Priorities change. You get married. You have a family. Other things, and then you realize, and I've said this on this show before, that in the grand scheme of things, sports really not that important. Really not, when you think about it. Now, you can impact lives with sports. You can make a difference with sports, for sure, if you're a coach, right, or an administrator or whatever. Don't get me wrong. 
But back in the day when I was a youngster, sports was everything. Like I lived and I breathed sports. I lived and died with the Steelers and the Pirates, right? I used to be one of those guys who would be emotionally distraught if one of my teams lost. They would ruin my day, ruin my, my week. And then you realize as time goes on and you get a little bit older that it's just not that important. It is to an extent, but not the way it once was. And I've just kind of reached that point where I want to kind of go back and enjoy sports again. And that's the thing a lot of people don't realize is that whenever you work in sports, it's hard to enjoy sports. Whether you're covering it for a newspaper or or doing this, you lose that love of the games because it's a job. It's work. You know, doing this show for the past almost two years, I couldn't watch a game without, at the same time, working, f- formulating an opinion, knowing that I'm going to talk about something knowing that I have to talk about it, knowing that i got to take notes. And when it turns into a job, it's, it's not enjoyable. I remember, last, or it wasn't last year, it was the year before, 2019, when I attended a Frankfurt uh, football game. And this was after years and years and years of either not being able to attend a high school football game because of work or being at a high school game, but working, right? Play-by-play or, or covering for a newspaper or whatever. And I remember going today. It was, it was the first home game of the season for Frankfurt, 2019. And I remember sitting there, and it was almost like it was the first game I had ever been to. That's what it felt like. Because I was there just to be a fan. I was there to support the team, the players, the coaches. I was there to cheer. I was there to just enjoy just to enjoy the game. And I hadn't felt that in so long. And I missed that. I missed just going and watching a game to be a fan, just watching just watching it to enjoy it. And when you do stuff like this, you don't enjoy sports because again, it's work. It's a job. So I look forward to actually enjoying sports again, right? I enjoy watching a game just to watch it, just to be there, to, again, to cheer, to boo, whatever. Like I said, everything comes to an end. So this show comes to an end on Friday. My run here, and it's been a good run. Met a lot of great people here. But it is what it is. So we'll have we'll have fun this week, and uh, again, I'll, I'll you know, I got into this a little bit more than I wanted to, <laughs> which I got, I probably I should have expected it. But there's just come the time when you have to move on, right? Move, I mean, how many times have we seen players hold on too long, right? We've seen players hold on, and they should have retired maybe two, three years ago, kind of like the old Franco Harris in Seattle. Emmett Smith in Arizona kind of deal. You hold on a little bit too long. You kind of have to get out while the going's good. Didn't want to hold on too long. I didn't want to get to the point where I just started resenting coming to work. And I, you know, Again, several reasons. One of the reasons, and I'm going to be honest, one of the reasons, a big reason, probably a top two reason, is like the way I'm feeling right now. 
And that is dead tired. That is dead. I feel dead tired right now. And that's something, look, and I've, I've, I've talked about it before on the show. The 3.20 a.m. alarm, you never get used to it. In almost two years, I've never gotten used to it. Yesterday, I was in here for five hours in the afternoon, have to go home, turn around and come right back. Had trouble sleeping last night <clears throat> because I'm old and I got back issues. I came into work today on probably two and a half hours sleep. At my age, that's not healthy. At any age, that's not healthy. And and just feeling the way I feel right now, just I like I can't wait. I'm like I'm like, I'm just surviving the morning, just so I can get home and take a nap. It's no way to live. That's no way. And to get up at three twenty and feel like that, and and to feel like I feel right now, it's just it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. And I'm just being honest. It's not worth it. The rewards of doing this just simply do not outweigh the risk at this point. I'm old. I'm old. I'm 50. I can't get by on three, four hours sleep anymore. I just can't. That's for, that's for the young folk. There was a point in time in my life when I could do it. That that time has long since passed. So, again, this move is for several reasons. My health, my mental health, my physical health, my well-being, uh, a lot of other stuff. So, there it is. As we go to break here, we got news and weather coming up. That is the major announcement that I wanted to get out today so we can kind of just enjoy the rest of the week. Uh, This will be my final week here at Allegheny Radio. This will be the final week in the big chair of the morning rush. And I know as Friday gets closer, it's going to get a heck of a lot weirder and hard to digest, but it is what it is. Life goes on. All right, uh, time for a break. News and weather coming up. Then we'll talk a Hall of Fame weekend when we come back. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Why? What is the difference in the volume here? Why is that so low? We still haven't fixed that, have we? That second, the second, as we call it in the business, the second pot, the level, the volume, it's still not fixed, is it? That's why, okay, that explains the difference. In my in my headphones, the rejoin sounded like normal. And then I, I started saying something and I just blew my eardrums out with my own voice because the levels were off. See, we got to get that fixed. Not that it matters to me that much longer. (laughs) I only got four more days to worry about it. In case you missed it, last segment, I made the announcement. uh, This is my last week here at uh, Allegheny Radio Corporation. Uh, Myself and the big chair and the show, uh, we are moving on. I guess it's not even moving on. We're just retiring. I am retiring from the broadcast business as of... This Friday. Friday's the final show. Moving on to other uh, endeavors, if you will. So there you go. Yeah, I mentioned uh, also last segment, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I'm moving on is I, I, just, I can't take the the 3.20 a.m. wake-up call, man. It's, just, it's not working for me. And last night, didn't get a whole lot of sleep, right? Because uh, my back has been hurting. <laughs> you want to know? <laughs> Mom's 
I'm embarrassed to even admit this. You know, I hurt my back. This I've had back issues for a long time. But you know, I hurt my. I heard it on. Uh, it was it was Friday. Let's take a guess. Just take one guess. How I, I I tweaked my back this time around. Now look, I, I have I have hurt my back in weird ways. I once threw out my back, uh, bending over to take out the trash. Right, I bent over to take the bag out of the trash can. Whoosh, there goes my back just went. I've hurt my back working out. I've hurt my back golfing, which I guess is kind of could be kind of normal. Friday, Friday night, I hurt my back. Right, you ready for this? Rolling over in bed. That's, <laughs> that's I I because of my my back, I sleep with one of those uh, big body pillows, right? But it's almost as long as I am. And because it helps my back. It helps the way I sleep and the way I wrap the... Anyway. And I just woke up in the middle of the night, tried to turn over. I started grabbing grab the big pillow, and all I did was rolled over. And it felt like somebody shot me in my right hip. And I've been dealing with that for the past couple of nights. That's when you know that maybe you might want to get in a little better shape. When you, st- when, you, when you start injuring yourself, rolling over in bed, uh, that should be a red flag to anybody. So, yeah, that's why I have trouble sleeping now the past couple nights because I rolled over in bed and tweaked my back. So there you go. All right. Uh, busy, busy weekend in Canton. It started with the Hall of Fame game last Thursday. Uh, the Steelers beat the Cowboys. And then, like, 200 people got inducted into the Hall of Fame this weekend. <laughs> there are so many. You had seven new inductees into the Pro Football Hall of Fame yesterday for the class of 2021. Then on Saturday, you had the class of 2020 because that was postponed last year because of the pandemic. It was a whole, an entire weekend filled with inductions. Now, yesterday, uh, you had you had John Lynch. You had uh, former Steeler Alan Fanica. You had Drew Pearson, who waited a long time. Uh, former Raiders coach and Seahawks, right? Uh, Tom Flores, he finally got in. Megatron, Calvin Johnson, uh, Charles Woodson, and, of course, uh, one of the greatest to ever play behind center. Uh, Mr. Peyton Manning. The legendary John Madden says that the Hall of Fame bust whispered to each other at night. And it's actually true. My son Marshall and I have heard it. But I also think that they run plays at night. They scrimmage. They throw a little seven on seven. The other night I had a dream that I was in one of those scrimmages. The other team's coaches were Vince Lombardi and Paul Brown. My coaches, Bill Cower and Jimmy Johnson. That's right, a cowboy and a Steeler working together only in Canton, Ohio. We were on the 50-yard line with only three seconds left in the game. Coach Cower called a running play. I said, Coach, I'm going to have to audible. Omaha. I caught, a ba- I caught a pass play. My bus faked a handoff to Barry Sanders. I threw a 20-yard break-in route to Michael Irvin right as Deacon Jones and Ray Nitschke hit me at the same time. Irvin, as he was getting tackled by Ronnie Lott, then lateraled to Steve Largent, who was in a foot race down the sideline with Daryl Green and Lim Barney. 
the savvy largent, knowing he couldn't win a foot race with Daryl Green, then lateral back to Lance Allworth, who dove into the end zone for the game-winning score. Now, yesterday, it was just a dream, but tonight, it's reality. How great was that? That was awesome. A lot of name-dropping there by uh, Peyton Manning. And one of the names he dropped was Bill Cowher, right? And he was part of the class of 2020, which was inducted uh, on Saturday. And it was most definitely a celebration clad in black and gold this weekend. Five members of the Steelers were inducted over the weekend. Three players, a coach, and the legendary scout, uh, Bill Nunn. And uh, Peyton Manning mentioned uh, Coach Cower. But what a weekend for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It is unbelievable to me to go in the Hall of Fame on the same weekend with two guys you drafted, Troy Palomalu and Alan Fanica. Also, Donnie Shell and the late, great Bill Nunn. With the Pittsburgh Steelers on this stage, the Gold Jackets on this stage, you guys set the standard and created the culture. And it's our job to keep it going. Now, Coach mentioned Donnie Shell, of course, Shell, a safety on that legendary uh, Steel Curtain defense. Uh, Donnie waited a long time to get the call to the hall. And he recalled early on, uh, he's, he was basically a long shot to even make the Steelers uh, coming out of little-known South Carolina State. It's been a long journey, but a good one. I arrived in Pittsburgh in 1974 as an undrafted free agent. And now I'm in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Only God can do that. I remember when I first arrived in training camp, a reporter uh, mentioned to me, I want to interview you after you have lunch. I said, sure. He begins the interview with his statement. Don't you know you're a long shot to make the Steelers team because you're undrafted and a free agent? Obviously, he's not familiar with Coach Willie Jeffries from South Carolina State University and the South Carolina State Bulldog tenacity. However, factually, he was correct. When the facts get in the way of your goal, you must go against the grain of what is true to achieve your goal. So I looked him square in the eye and I said, Mister, I'm from South Carolina State University. Coach Willie Jefferson said, I can do whatever I want to do when I get to training camp, and I have a good chance to make this team. Not only did he make the team, he made it to the Hall of Fame. And Shell, really one of the more underrated players of that steel curtain defense. Now, on the other end of the spectrum Saturday, we talk about Shell waiting years and years and years to get in. There was another safety, Troy Palomalu, who he went into the Hall of Fame on the very first ballot. To anyone who valiantly wears the black of gold, creating a brotherhood that is deeper than money, business, and winning. To be a Steeler is to consider others before you consider yourself, to protect your brother even from himself, to give support at your own expense. And when wearing a black and gold suit of armor, make sure nobody desecrates it, disrespects it. Most importantly, we ourselves don't dishonor it. The only approval any Steeler should seek is to earn the approval from previous legends who have donned the black and gold. And if you've really earned their respect, they'll say, you could have played with us. And then there was yesterday, uh, it was Alan Fanica's turn to take the stage. And again, 
Talk about what it was meant, what it meant to him to play for the Steelers. On to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I want to thank the late Ambassador Rooney and Art Rooney for cultivating a culture where teammates become true brothers and your benchmarks for success are relentlessly high. We inspire a city. And Steeler Nation, you inspire us. Now look, I didn't watch like the entire weekend because that's a lot of Hall of Fame stuff to take in. But I did see uh, Isaac Bruce. His and his speech was great because they took they took he had an iPad up on the the podium with his speech and they took the iPad away. So he was basically winging it. And he did a heck of a job. Jimbo Covert, who of course I was interested in because he's a he's he's a Pennsylvania guy, a Southwest PA guy, a Pitt guy. Even though I do kind of question if Jimbo is is really you know a Hall of Fame material. I mean, when you think greatest offensive lineman at all time, do you really think Jimbo Covert? I no disrespect to him, but he played eight years with the Pro Bowl uh, pick twice. So I don't. That was kind of iffy. But still, I watched that. He was good. And then I watched Paul Amalu uh, get up there and give his his speech. And I tell you what, they talk, people talk about Steeler Nation, right? And how Steeler Nation represents all over the country. And, of course, Canton is only about a two-hour drive from Pittsburgh. So you had the Steelers playing in the Hall of Fame game Thursday. You had five members of the Steelers uh, getting inducted this weekend. Only stood the reason that the place was just dominated by black and gold. I mean, they just took over the entire area uh, this weekend. And as I'm as I'm watching uh, Paul Amalu take the stage, the place is going absolutely nuts, and to the point where it gave me like goosebumps. They, they were just the 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 ovation was so loud and so long, you know, terrible towels waving. Every, at that at that point. It kind of dawned on me. I was like, now I understand why so many people hate the Steelers. Now, now I get it. And it's not like anybody did anything wrong. It's not like, you know, there was any disrespect or anything. But they just took the place over. And on the weekend, and then again, no disrespect. It, it was a great weekend for all of the inductees, right? But you had five members of the Steelers getting in on one weekend. And you had Steeler Nation just taking over the whole place. And it just kind of, like, I, I know, because people look, people hate greatness. People hate the Steelers for the same reason they hate Notre Dame or Duke or whatever, the Yankees. If it's not your team, you hate them because they're so good. And people hate greatness. But just, just at that moment, for a split second, I was like, oh, I said, that's, now I get it. Because if you're not a Steelers fan and you're watching that, you're like, really? Like, like, settle down. Right? <laughs> like, if that place is overrun with, like, Browns fans, I'd be like, oh, come on. Turn it off. Turn it off. Not that you have too many Browns getting to the Hall of Fame, but it's, that's beside the point. So, yeah, it was just kind of like a, it was, it was a light bulb moment. It was a great moment because, again, Steeler Nation is as strong as any nation in sports. But it was also a very enlightening one. And then Paul Molo gave a, a great speech as well. 
But anyway, congratulations to all of uh, the inductees. Next year, hopefully, it's a normal class. We don't have 85 people getting in at one time. All right, uh, one final break, and then back to wrap things up. Stick around, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Before we get out of here, uh, let's check on the player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about, and uh, cover your ears, Orioles fans, Tampa Bay's uh, Brett Phillips. Swing and a fly ball to left field. This is deep. Back at it is Hayes. Still going. And it is a grand slam. Brett Phillips with his second homer of the day. And this is a grand slam. And the Rays have scored nine again and lead it nine to five. The call on WDAE of Phillips' grand slam was part of a six-run eighth inning. As the Rays rally past the O's 9-6 to sweep the weekend series, uh, Phillips hit a solo homer in the seventh, and then the granny in the eighth for his first career uh, two-homer game. For the Rays, Brett Phillips, our player who delivered. Uh, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. And that goes right there in uh, file 13. So the Summer Olympics came to an end. They pulled it off in Tokyo. No fans, but they got it all completed. At the end of the day, the U.S., U.S.A., U.S.A., finished with the most uh, gold medals. They won like three events in the last day to finish with 39 golds, one more than China's 38. Japan was third with the 27 golds, Great Britain fourth with 22, and then the ROC, the ROC, the uh, Russian Olympic Committee, because they couldn't which I found out they couldn't uh, go under Russia because of the doping thing and suspension, so they just had to go as the Russian Olympic Committee. Uh, they had 20 gold medals. Uh, overall medal count, the U.S. had 113. They had 39 gold, 41 silver, 33 bronze. Uh, China second with 88 total medals. Uh, Japan third, 58. Uh, Britain 65. I'm sorry, that's backwards. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, they put golds first. Okay. Let me start over again on that one. Uh, the U.S. with 113 total medals. China second with 88. Then the ROC, the Rock, with 71. Uh, Britain had 65 and Japan had 58. So there you go. One of the more interesting things that I watched uh, over the past, what, three, four days, whatever, was the women's marathon in a Holly Seidel. Uh, American, finished third. And look, you listen to the show enough, you know my son runs cross-country. He's a long-distance runner. So we just happened to come across the women's marathon as it was starting. I think it was, was it Friday? I think it was Friday, I think. And I'm like, all right, look, I'm going to flip around. There's no way I'm going to sit here and watch a marathon for two and a half hours, Right? Two and a half hours later, I'm still sitting there <laughs> watching the marathon. <laughs> now, we did flip back and forth when it was they broke for commercial, but never in my life. Look, a lot of it has to do with, like, Little C, he's going away to college Saturday. So, of course, you want to spend as much time with him as possible before he takes off. So, if that means sitting there watching the marathon for two and a half hours, then I'll, I'll do it. But it was really, it was really interesting. Like, never would I have thought that would happen, but it was really interesting. 
And it really helped that Holly Seidel was there in the pack at the end. And it did take one runner to drop off late. Like, she hit the wall and she was dunsky. It looked like Holly was going to finish fourth. But the runner in third, like, it just hit her like a brick and she was done. And then Holly finished third. It was, it was very exciting. And it helps. It goes to show when you have good coverage, when you have good analysts talking about what you're watching, they can make anything interesting, even a marathon. So that, I mean, it was cool. And again, with uh, Holly getting the bronze, that made it worth it. Uh, I loved water polo. I got into water polo a lot. Those guys and gals are just freakishly strong. We also watched something called rhythm, Rhythmic Gymnastics. Did you see that? Where there's like five girls on the mat and they're they're like doing this dancing, but they're throwing hoops and batons and, and balls in the air. Like it was like it's this giant juggling act. It was it was mesmerizing. They, look, I watched it because my wife was watching it. Don't get me wrong. But I kind of got into it a little bit. And that's what the Olympics does. It, it, it brings you and it gives you sports that you may not otherwise pay attention to. It brings them to the forefront. Like rhythmic gymnastics and marathons. <laughs> Watching a marathon on TV. I, know, I definitely I knew I'd never run a marathon, let alone watch one on television. But there you go. Anyway, uh, summer games in the books. Great job, USA. Uh, This show is in the books. I am done. Amanda's coming up next with Tri-State Today. Stick around for that. Thank you for listening as always. Enjoy the rest of your day. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C. And I am done. Bye.